Hello, this is Our Remarkable Brain. Here at our podcast, we strive to provide only the most accurate and thought-provoking information, connecting our brain to the world around us. Special thanks to our sponsors, without whom this will not be possible. Connect with us on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Here's this week's podcast. Welcome to Our Remarkable Brain. I am so incredibly thrilled that all of you are listening in today. Um, So I am your host, Dana Stonecki. I've been working really hard on this podcast, mainly because it's something that I'm incredibly interested in. Uh, Memory and psychology has always been a... a part of academia that I've always wanted to learn more about, and so I think this is, I'm really happy that this gave me a new way to explore that interest. So the goal of this, this podcast, uh, is to explore the wonders of the human brain and fascinating parts of our world. This series in particular is a three-part series in which we're going to um, probe the questions about memory, what it is, how it's formed, how it's used, weird little niche things about it with adapted advantages that most people would not know about. So the motivation for this is recently I stumbled across a different podcast that I was listening uh, to that discussed what they called fake memories. What happened was uh, during 9-11, a lot of people really clearly remember seeing videos of the first plane crashing into uh, the, the first tower, and they knew exactly where they were. But the thing is, is that there was never any video of the first plane crashing into the first tower, only the second one. But so many people had the same wrong memory. So anyway, that got me into this topic. And so a little while later, down the internet rabbit hole, and here we are. Today we'll be in three parts. How memory is formed, and what what it actually is on a fundamental level repressed and selective memories, and then the final part will be the practical applications about what we know um, about how memory is formed and also how it changes. So I think it's important because memory is everything that we are. All our thoughts, experiences, decisions, all of that are a product of our memory. But many people either oversimplify memories, uh, and by that I mean oversimplify the concepts and what actually happens in them, uh, or they don't take the time to consider the processes. Either way, they're missing a big part of it. It's actually incredibly complicated, and part of the reason is that we don't know an excessive amount about it. There are several fundamental types, but the two main categories are declarative and non-declarative. So non-declarative memories are memories that are not directly available to the consciousness. So think autopilot. Um, and so these are learned skills, such as knowing the words to the song. You don't have to think about what the words are. They just appear. Or driving a car. I think by the hundredth time that you've sat in the driver's seat and buckled your seatbelt and turned the key in the ignition, you know what to do. You don't have to think about it. Um, buttoning a shirt is the same thing. It's Non-declarative memory is also occasionally called muscle memory, and I think that's a more common term, but they mean the same thing. So these are all learned skills that we use all the time and don't necessarily have to think about them. But declarative is something that we can actively recall. So, for example, our last birthday party or what we learned in class last week. If you can think about it and call up the memory and um, and it's not subconscious, then it's going to be declarative. Or another example is knowing that your favorite restaurant closes at 6 p.m. on Sundays. 
There's lots of blurred lines between declarative and non-declarative memories. It depends on the context. So dialing a phone can sometimes be considered non-declarative. So if you're calling your mom something you've done a million times, you don't have to think about the numbers you're dialing. It's going to be a non-declarative memory. But if if you're dialing a phone and remembering a phone number, it'll be declarative because you have to actively think about what numbers go where. Now, our focus is going to be in declarative memory, and there are two different types of it, episodic and semantic. Episodic memory is a past-oriented memory system that allows re-experiences of one-owned previous experiences. The simpler way to think about that is who, what, where, when, why. What happened? Who was there? When was it? Think of, like, episodes. A semantic memory is just facts, such as what a dog looks like. And so there are two different memory systems uh, for our purposes. And they just were, uh, those are the things, the declarative memory, the things in our lives that we know about, uh, that we think about all the time. But I imagine that many of you had not even thought about what happens during it. But episodic memory retrieval takes place in three steps. The first takes place before we even remember the event. It's when the event happens. It's called encoding. We encode what we view as important, and that's how it'll be saved in our mind. Keep in mind that the brain is not a computer, so saved on terms like that are an oversimplification. But for surface-level memory function, it works. Uh, It can be guided intentionally, uh, such as attaching a name to a person to try to remember it during an icebreaker. Or it can be subconscious, and this is what happens more often. The second step is consolidation. The gradual reorganization of brain regions that support memory. Fast changes for initial stabilization of memories and restructure existing synaptic connections and growth of new ones. Um, And that's just basically a fancy way of saying how memory is uh, just stored in our brain. We make synapses, our neurons connect all of them, and suddenly we have this code in our brain for what is included in that memory. So next time we think about it, it will be recalled. Which brings us to our next step, retrieval. But in order to retrieve a memory, the brain must first be in retrieval mode and there must be cues. So retrieval mode, for example, uh, has more precisely been described as neurocognitive set that serves to hold a segment of one's personal past and focal attention and treats incoming information as retrieval cues for events in the past. It basically means it's a neuro setting where we are we are ready to think about things that have already happened. We're ready to recall those memories. And it can be prompted by asking a question about what you did on vacation. The brain is then prepped to pull out memories. It goes, oh, we're going to remember the past now. Um, and, but also, it can also be cues such as walking into uh, your childhood home and uh, maybe smelling something that smells familiar. So it doesn't necessarily need to be an active prompt from someone else. So they can be self-generated or can be induced by additional questions. Retrieval is complex and consists of a lot of sub-processes that assist in how memory is brought up. A more in-depth analysis of episodic memory retrieval is uh, an engram, which is a memory trace, is a neural change reflecting the thoughts, emotions, and sensory features of the original experience.
But memory cues are used to create a mental simulation of an event by drawing upon available memories and filling in missing pieces with educated guesses. Some people believe that episodic memory does not actually exist, and it's a big point of controversy in the psychology and neurological um, community. But that's, and that the episodic memory is actually just a complex form of semantic memory that they study in experiments. The critiques of episodic memory is that we don't have a solid way of understanding whether, if so, if we remember what a dog looks like, it could be semantic memory because it's just a fact that we know, but it also could be an episodic memory because we might remember a specific dog, such as our own dog. So distinguishing those in the environmental setting is, in the experimental environment, is incredibly difficult. Uh, But for our purpose, let's just assume that episodic memory is its own separate category and is only tangentially related to semantic. And for the main, the main issue is that testing whether we are recalling facts or episodes will require neurological technology that we don't have yet. All we can currently see during memory experiments is, is the neural synapses that occur when we do remember something. Okay. However, um, for how we remember things and the theories around that, we don't actually have any hardcore scientific proof that we have for like microbiology where we can put things under a microscope and be like oh that is a cell that is a mitochondria uh memory is a lot more malleable i suppose i would say and so we know that we have to encode them consolidate them and then retrieve them but what happens specifically in them is not uh not so clear so the neurology Neurologists believe that memory storage depends on the connection between synapses and the strengths of associations. It's not there. It's not that memories are encoded. Um, not that they're encoded because of oh, like oh, this is X. It is going into the X folder. It'll be oh, X is related to Y, and it's also related to A. But again, all of these are just theories. There are theories that are valid. But again, we don't have any proof of them, and so that's what scientists are currently working on in the field. And as a final concluding note, it's important to keep in mind that our brains are clumps of soft tissue, meaning that they are not preserved in fossils. So what we know about our ancestors' neurological behavior comes from studying their skulls, the weight, size, shape, things like that. And because of this, I'm not going to focus extensively on how certain mechanisms developed in an evolution perspective, because we just don't know. There's not a way to. But we can figure out more from our technology that we have now, our understanding of how synapses work, of how neurons work, of how the the matter in our brain works. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on, current studies, current things that we know and have discovered and have yet to discover. So that's the end of the first episode. I really hope that you guys got something out of it, that you learned the bare basics of it. And then the next two episodes, we will be going more in depth. And again, thank you so much.